was January the 15th, and it was 1994. It was on a Saturday. I was sitting in Orchard Park, New York, at the stadium of the Buffalo Bills. It was a playoff game. The temperature was zero. The wind chill was 32 below zero. And I didn't even care who won. Before I made that trip to Buffalo, I spent some time, if you will, getting equipped for that game. I sought the counsel of a lot of different folks because I'm not from the north. And so um, us transitioning to the north was major. I mean, you, you shoveled the sidewalks and you had to make sure you shoveled your steps because the mailman needed to make it up to the mailbox, which was on your house. Um, I would um, shovel and then I would sweat and then I'd have to take a shower again because I couldn't go to work and I learned how to live in the north. But zero degrees and 32 below wind chill going to a football game, I needed a little help. And so I went to see a man named um, Bill Reed. I told Bill, here's my plan, Bill. I said, I, I said I've got... Layers of clothes in mind. I have insulated boots that I'll need. And I said, um, I have a toboggan. And I, he said, well, what kind of toboggan do you have? And I had one of those that came over my ears, and that's it. And he said, son, that's not going to do it. And so he gave me this toboggan where all you could see was my eyes and my mouth. That's a toboggan. And then he said, what about your hands? And I said, well, I have gloves. He said, that's not going to work. He said, you need mittens. Mittens. You know, I think of mittens, I think of little kids. I want mittens. He said, you'll want the mittens. Guess what? You want the mittens. And when I went to the game, I was fully equipped with everything that I needed. And I sat in that stadium on the 30-yard line. They were great seats. Sat in that stadium on the 30-yard line and did not move for four quarters. Because by the middle of the fourth quarter, my feet were freezing. But I was fully equipped. I've got some really good news for you guys today. You are fully equipped to live to the glory of God. Fully equipped. Nothing is lacking. And that's what Peter is telling these believers in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, I want you to remember last week we talked about the fact that Peter's desire was that these believers, uh, that, their, their, that grace and, and peace would be multiplied in their lives, that they would continue on the pattern of growth. That was his desire. He wanted to see that in their lives because that's what had happened in his life. And as a believer in Christ, it should be our desire that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, that we would come to understand and experience that multiplied grace and peace. And so that was his desire, and that was expressed in, in verse uh, 2 of chapter 1 of Second Peter, where Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
And now Peter takes verse 3 and he argues the point, right? He argues the point that they've been given everything they need. And he makes his argument, the basis of his argument is around three points. And all three points concern the person of Christ. It's not about Peter. It's not about other believers. But Peter argues that the believer has been fully equipped for spiritual growth. And he gives three arguments for that. And the first argument that he gives is he points to the power of Christ. He says that Christ is the power source for growth. Do you believe that? That Christ is the, not one of many, but the power source of growth. Notice what it says in, ah, in verse 3, part A. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us. Notice that pronoun, us. Not just you, but me as well, he says. To us, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And so his first argument is that Jesus Christ is the power source for growth. He is the power that we need for spiritual growth. I like the way that um, John Walbert, this thing is touchy today. His power is the source of our sufficiency, is what John Walford says. His power is the source of our sufficiency. You ever feel defeated as a Christian? Feel like, man, I'm just stuck in a rut, and I'm not growing, and, and what's going on? Um, well, when we get like that, you know what that's called? Focusing on self. You know what Peter's doing in this argument? He's saying, that's not where the focus is. This multiplied grace and peace that I want you to experience in your life, it's based on, first of all, the power of Jesus Christ to work in your life and my life. The question becomes, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the power source? Is he the sufficiency? Is he our sufficiency? The answer is yes. He is our sufficiency. He is the power source. Do you believe that today? I mean, do you really believe it? See, because I think what happens is when we get in these ruts, the tendency is to focus so much on what we are doing or not doing that we forget we've been equipped. He's equipped us. At salvation, He equipped us. And His Spirit lives in us. And is the source, right? He's the source that we need. Um, some maybe question the power of Christ. I don't know what you think about when you think about the, the power of Christ. I don't know if you're like, oh yeah, he's, he's a little bit powerful. No, he's all powerful. He's all powerful. No matter what man says, he's all powerful. Um, it's interesting if you go back to the Gospels. And look at the life of Christ on earth. Um, his power is displayed. It's displayed in creation. We get that, right? Um, it's going to be displayed when he returns. Um, it'll be displayed in his kingdom to come. 
but his power was displayed on earth. Did you know that? <laughs> and I don't know if these things get you, but they get me. So I started making a list. He turned water into wine. Does that impress you? You ever read that story? In John 2, the wedding at Cana? And Jesus turns water to wine. I'll never forget, I was at a wedding one time, and this um, person was explaining John 2 terribly, by the way. And um, when Jesus is made aware of the fact that there was no wine, of course, he knew that. And so um, Jesus turns to his mother and says, Woman, what do I have to do with thee? You remember that statement? And this person who was speaking that day at this particular event said, even Jesus was disrespectful. I thought, you have no idea what you're talking about. Teresa put her hand on my leg. And so as... <laughs> and that's probably been 15, 16 years ago. I would have gotten up today. Do you know why he turned water into wine? It tells us. Chapter 2, verse 11, to manifest his glory. <laughs> you don't have to go searching. It's right there in the text. He turned water to wine. All right, so now I want you to think about this as we're going through this. This is the power source that Peter's talking about. <laughs> right? And if there's one who experienced in his life, Jesus, right? Man, Peter did. He heals a woman in the crowd. Can I get you to turn to Mark 5? We have time. Mark chapter 5, all right? I got, this is one of my favorite um, stories in the life of Christ. Um, one that probably is not discussed a whole lot. But I just want to show you this and, um, real quick. Chapter 5 of Mark, in verse 25, it says, And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse, after hearing about Jesus, came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, If I just touch his garments, I shall get well. Uh, Jesus responds to that. Verse 29, And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And notice verse 30, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the what? The power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, You see the multitude pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. She had just touched his cloak. He felt the power leave him. He heals an a man unable to speak in Matthew chapter 9. 
He heals a man born blind in John chapter 9. This is one of my favorites. I guess I have a lot of favorites. This is one of my favorites. And if you don't love this story, something's wrong with you. I love verse 25. He says, remember he's interacting there with the Pharisees and the parents and all. He says, one thing I do know. This is the blind man. That where I was blind, now I what? I see. I was, but now I see. <laughs> he walks on water, Mark chapter 6. He raises Lazarus from the dead, John chapter 11. My friends, listen to me. He's all-powerful. There is nothing, listen, you might be going through a really difficult time in your life as a believer and you're just like, at the end of yourself, good, that's a good place to start. Because it's all about what Christ can do through you. He's the power. That, that word power is the word where we get a word dynamite from. He's the dynamite in our lives. See? I like the way that Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Yes, he is the power source. And that's what Peter's telling him. Listen, this is my desire for you. I want you to, your grace and peace to be multiplied in your lives and it can be because it's not up to you. <laughs> it's what's been given to you, right? And what's been given to you is the power source who is Jesus Christ. Paul, in the book of Romans, uh, the first chapter, and I'll just read this. You don't need to turn there. But in Romans chapter 1, he speaks about the power source being Jesus Christ. Paul says, a, uh, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, listen to this, who was declared with power to be the son of God by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the all-powerful one. He's the power source. But he's not only the power source for spiritual growth. Peter tells him that he is the provision for spiritual growth. Secondly, he says he's the provision for spiritual growth. Look what the text says. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So not only do we have the power source by which we grow, who is Christ, but he's the provision as well. He's not just the power source, he's the provision. Notice that little word, granted. Now, um, that might just look like a pretty innocent word to you, but it's a pretty important word because the word granted occurs in verse 4 as well. Um, the word granted, I like this word in the Greek, and I'm just going to tell you the word because it's kind of a neat little word. It's the word didomai. Isn't that a cool little word, didomai? And, and generally in the New Testament... It speaks about giving. It just means to give. Okay? Um, but in the context here of 
Peter, he uses a different word. The word granted in verse 3 and 4 means to give abundantly or generously. Now that's different, isn't it? I can come over here and give you something, but the picture is that the Lord has abundantly given to me, has generously given to me all that I need in order to grow as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so that's a key term. Because, let me back up here. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us. Who is us there? Who's us, just anyone? No, the believers. If you go back to verse 1 of Second Peter, he talks about those who've received a faith of the same kind as ours, a precious faith. That's who he's talking about. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us believers everything pertaining to life and godliness. You know what that word everything means in the Greek? Everything. It means everything. So everything that I need pertaining to life and godliness, I have. You know, there's a tendency, um, I think, because what Peter's doing is arguing in verses 3 and 4 about what's been given to us. And in verse 5, he talks, starts talking about our responsibility. You know where the church tends to start? With my responsibility. And not what God has equipped me with. See, that's out of order. I need to understand how I've been equipped, don't I? If I'm going to go out on a journey, right? If I'm going to go hiking, years ago I went hiking. I don't like to hike. Um, there's nothing about hiking that just fires me up. So if you're a hiker, I'm sorry. I'm praying for you. But there is nothing about hiking that I enjoy. But I know this. If you're going to hike a distance, you need to be equipped. You need to have those provisions. Because you never know what can go wrong in the woods. Oh, I don't want to find out. I remember we were hiking one time in Colorado when I was a teenager. And, and this was one of those uh, relatives that I only met one time in my life. Uh, I don't even, I have no idea where he is. He lived in Colorado. And, and, and they wanted to hike Cheyenne Mountain. And I was a kid and I was adventurous and I thought great and wonderful. And he had all the equipment. And so going up and down the mountain, Gary, man, he was the man. And guess who I was following? My dad was with me. I love my dad, but I wasn't following. Oh, Gary's the man. You're following the one who has the equipment. Listen to this, guys. We've been given the equipment. We don't have to go out and purchase it. We've been given the equipment. I kind of like that. I kind of like to know it's not dependent on me. That doesn't mean I don't have responsibility, but that's not where Peter starts. So the provision for spiritual growth is the Lord. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Well, what's this term life mean? Life here describes the new life of the believer. The eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. And you know what? People tend to do this. When we think about eternal life, sometimes people tend to think of what's coming. Can I tell you something? When you came to faith in Jesus Christ immediately, you have what? 
eternal life. Your life is different. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So he's describing the new life of the believer. I like the way John does that. This will help any of you that are struggling with maybe eternal security. And that's one of those doctrines that gets thrown out a lot today. You know, I'm not secure in Christ. Well, can I tell you the word says you're secure in Christ? That's what it says. Look at this. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life. Who has given us eternal life? God has given us eternal life. And this life, right, and this connects to 2 Peter, this life is in his what? It's in his son. Life is in his son. As we could say that over and over, the life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. And how many people are walking around thinking they have the life? And they're not regenerate people. They're not born again. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I have the life. And then he writes this. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So right there he says, that's it. In that statement, even though it's a statement of eternal security... It's also a statement of the fact that eternal life is only found in who? It's only found in Jesus. He says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, that word life's an interesting word. It's the word zoe in the Greek. I like to say zoe too. Zoe, it's a cool word. So zoe, right? It means life. Um... Do you know that all the things, all the provisions we have in this life come from the Lord? Do you believe that? Scripture teaches it. Right? The bread that I have, it comes from the Lord. The water that I have, it comes from the Lord. He is the source of life. Not only eternal life, but as I'm living this life. Right? He's the source of life. Jesus talks about that. And talks about the priority of that. I want you to go with me in, to Matthew in the 6th chapter. Okay, Matthew the 6th chapter. So he's the provision for our spiritual growth. And Peter says, that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So this life has a pretty broad meaning in the New Testament. It's not only talking about daily life, but it's talking about our spiritual life. Well, we tend to think about our physical life, and of course the Lord knows that. And um, I really like this passage because it kind of puts into perspective the life that the Lord wants us to concentrate on. I want you to think about that, all right? Verse 25 of Matthew 6. Well, start in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Period. And 
Notice what he does, because he talks about life, but he talks about what he wants them to focus on in this life. He says, for this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life. <laughs> All right, what's he talking about? Oh, he tells us, as to what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Mm, but sometimes people get anxious about those things, True. And then he says, is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Answer, yeah. <laughs> Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. And yet your, what, your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he says, are you not... Worth much more than they. And which of you by being anxious can add, add a single cubic or 18 inches to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field, they do not toil nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do for you, O men of little faith? Answer, yes. He will and he does, doesn't he? He takes care of us every day. I'm looking around here. I don't see anybody that's lacking. You have clothes. I assume you have food. You look pretty good. In fact, I was noticing this week, and, and this is, um, in the South, we look really healthy. If you get my meaning. Like, when you watch people walk out of a restaurant, you ever done that? And walk, going, wow, we, we look healthy. And then you even look at yourself in the mirror, we're, we're pretty healthy. We, we don't lack for food. God takes care of us. And so he tells them in verse 31, Do not be anxious, then saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? How much time is spent worrying about things that we cannot change? <laughs> Jesus gives them a priority, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care for itself. <laughs> I like this last part. It's kind of humorous to me. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And all God's people that are old said amen to that, right? Guys, listen. You see what he's doing here? Hey, there's things that concern us in this life. He's got those handled. He's the provider. But you know, just as much as he's the provider of those things, he's the provision for spiritual health, spiritual growth. Well, he uses another term here. The term is godliness. This is an interesting term. Um, it's a word that's used to describe the attitude of reverence. It's an inner attitude. It's an inner thing, right? It's a word used to describe the attitude of reverence to God. So he says here, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. God has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. 
So when you come to Christ, do you know that you're sealed by the Spirit and the Spirit of the living God resides in you? And the reason that you can bring glory to God is because the Spirit of God lives in you. That's why. I like the second part of that definition too. It means reverence and worship which manifests itself in pleasing him. So godliness is a word used to describe the attitude of reverence to God. Listen, and if we're born again, we have a reverence for God, right? That just comes, that just comes natural. It does as a believer. That's why I can't stand when I hear the Lord's name taken in vain. When I was a kid, it didn't bother me as much. Lord, forgive me. Now I can't stand it. I can't stand it. See, because my, my attitude, see, my inner attitude is this. Lord, by your spirit, and only by your spirit can I please you, and I want to do that. So when your name is mentioned, I want it lifted up. And so when people come here on Sunday morning, that's what we do. We're not coming up to lift up any person. It's him. I'm not sure if it disgusts Christians enough today. Maybe. We ought to think about that. Because we want God to be revered. Um, and he also means reverence and worship, which manifests itself in pleasing God. And I thought about this verse. I always think about this verse when I think about pleasing him. And Paul writes there, you know, and he's having that discussion about being you know, with the Lord or, or, or home. And he says, therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to do what? Whether I'm with the Lord or not. What does he say? Our ambition is to what? Our aim, our purpose, our drive is to be what? Pleasing to him. And guys, did you know that there's been provision made so that we can do that? <laughs> we can do it. Not in and of ourselves, but because of the power source in our lives. Because we've been given the provision by the Lord Jesus to please him. Notice he says, therefore, also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. And then this, this is a great little text here for some other time. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. By the way, the beam of seat, that's for those who are in Christ. That's for those who belong to Christ. But we're going to give an account. You know, one of the things I believe that Peter is saying to these believers is, look, it's not dependent on you. You have a part. But first of all, it's dependent on the Lord, right? He's the one that's been given to them. He's the one that's changed their lives. He's the power source. He's the provision. And then Peter argues thirdly, that not only is he the power source and the provision, but that this powerful provision comes through a personal knowledge of him. It begins at salvation. This provision begins at salvation, the moment I'm saved. The moment I come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, notice he says... Verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. How? Through the true knowledge of him. Now notice that little phrase, who what? Who called us. 
He separated us for himself by his own glory and excellence. Some translations have greatness. So the powerful provision comes through a personal knowledge of him. And when does that begin? The moment I'm saved. The moment I'm saved. Do you remember the moment you were saved? What did you know about Christ at that moment? At that moment, what did you know? Don't be scared. He's my Savior. That's it. And from that point on, you begin to do what? Grow. 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 In what? In knowledge of Him. In knowledge of Him. That word knowledge, we talked about it last week. It's an important word. And Peter uses it quite a bit. It refers to an accurate, clear, thorough, intimate knowledge of, in this context, Jesus Christ. Question, does our culture have an accurate, clear, thorough, intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ? Answer, no. No. But if you're born again... We have an intimate knowledge, don't we? We do. Now, the question becomes, how am I growing in that knowledge? Am I growing in that knowledge? So I wrote a question down at my margin for all of us to think about, not just you. I'm being fair, right? How much time did we spend with Jesus Christ this last week? Just him. Right? If I, if I need to gain, right, this a more thorough and intimate knowledge of him, the only way that's going to happen, guys, is how? Through the word of God. That's it. You remember I mentioned last week, I mean, people are looking for extra biblical stuff. Why? I got great news for you. There's enough to keep us busy till Christ comes. If, even if we just land in 27 books of the New Testament. You know that this accurate, clear, thorough, intimate knowledge comes by the Spirit through the Word, by the Spirit through the Word, by the Spirit through the Word. There is no replacement. Augustine said this, The Holy Scriptures are our letters from home. I like that. You like, you like that? I like that. Let us therefore yield ourselves to the authority of the Holy Scriptures... So that's what we do. That's, the, that's what we do. We yield ourselves to the authority of Scripture, which gives us the knowledge of our Savior and Lord. Guys, can I tell you one of those things that's happened in my life in the sanctification process that the Lord showed me about Himself that has really given me just a lot of peace? You talk about multiplied peace. Um, and it might be a passage you hadn't considered a whole lot, but I really like it. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians. I'm almost done. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I really like this text because the author makes it very clear. about who our comfort is, where it comes from. This divine comfort. This is what's ministered to me. Especially over the last several years. Paul writes, Paul an apostle, verse 1. 
of Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to do what? To sit at home in the recliner. Is that what it says? Not what it says. Here's a really awesome part, guys. As we grow in our knowledge of who the Lord is, of who God is, the Bible clearly reveals in this section that He is what? The God of all comfort. Any of you ever needed comfort? Absolutely. You know, in our world, it's sad, but people look for comfort in, in bottles, right? And they drink themselves, and they think, they're, I'm going to drink it up, and, and it's going to give me comfort. And at the end of the day, they wake up after that hangover, and they still are in the same condition as before. Here's the good part. You and I, we may have something going on in our lives that's an affliction that's difficult, and we wake up and that same affliction is there. But you know what? That same God who's the God of comfort that comforted me before I went to sleep is the same one that's there when I wake up. <laughs> Look at this, verse 4. Who comforts us. This is what happens, guys, as we come to understand more intimately what we have in Jesus Christ. Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to do what? Well, how does that happen? In our own strength, our own power? No. It's the Lord who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by who? By God. By God. That's one of the ways that the Lord has ministered to me. I have many illustrations I could give you. But truly, this book, this is God's love letter to me. And as I yield to the authority of Scripture, guys, listen to what happens. As I yield to the authority of Scripture, and I'm in the book, and I begin to see more and more of who Christ is, you know what happens? There becomes a multiplied peace and grace in my life. That's what happens. And it comes through the knowledge of Him. Now, that knowledge, we... Defined, but I want to give you. I want to leave you with a warning today, and um, I want you to turn your Bibles real quick to Matthew, Matthew chapter seven, Matthew seven. Just a, a quick warning, and this is not necessarily for you, but <laughs> this is just for all of us to think through, because you know the power. Powerful provision that Peter speaks about comes through the knowledge, through the accurate knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but there will be a lot of people in our world that would claim they have knowledge of Christ. Um, I want you to start from verse 15 of chapter 7. It says, Beware of the false prophets, Jesus says, who comes to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their what? By their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? 
Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the rotten tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Now notice this. Here's an example of knowledge that's not going to pay off. Look at this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Take it in. Look at verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Guys, the demons have knowledge. See, but Peter, he used the term epigenosis, intimate, personal knowledge. Do you know that you know that you know Christ? That's the question. Do you know that you know that you know? Today, can I ask you that question? Do you know that you know that you know Christ? See the power source in your life? I've got just three questions I want to leave you and we'll be done. Are you relying on the power source? These are all really tough questions. You're probably not going to like them, but anyway. Second question, do you believe he is the all-sufficient one? And I'd add a second part to that. Are, you, are we living like we believe he is? And then thirdly, how would you characterize your relationship with Christ today? I told you about that hiking trip in Colorado. Gary had everything known to man. We got up that mountain, no problem. We were coming down that mountain, and he gave us a choice. He said, um, guys, there's another gentleman over here that can take you down and use all the equipment and get down safely, or you can come with me. And no one said anything. I said, I'll go with you. And so you know what I did? I went with Gary. He's the man. I didn't know this other guy. I knew Gary a little, so we're going down the mountain, and Everything that we needed, Gary had, remember. But we came up to this lake. And right around this lake, there was a bear. And Gary didn't have what we needed to deal with that bear. Guys, I got good news for you. No matter what bears on the trail, your trail as a believer, the Lord can handle that. Because he's the one that's all-powerful. He's the provider. And we know that through the knowledge that comes through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you are all we need. Um, I'd have to admit as a believer in my life that at times I haven't lived like that. Uh, There's been times I've I've said it, and, and I've not 
submitted or yielded to that truth. Lord, I pray that you would help me, help me to yield and submit myself to you on a daily basis. As Paul wrote in Galatians 5, that I would walk to please you and draw upon the power that resides in me. And know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ has equipped me with everything that I need in this life. And as we think about the scope of eternity, um, Lord, your word tells us that one day um, we will be transformed. And when we see you, um, the Bible tells us in 1 John, we shall be like you are. Um, that's an amazing thought, Lord, that, that our bodies now, um, they're equipped for um, living this life. And yet you have in your provision, Lord, a body for eternity. It's, I think a lot of us that are older are looking forward to that. Um, we're looking forward, Lord, to you coming and, and you receiving us to yourself. Lord, I pray that we would never grow weary of drawing upon your power that resides in us. Help us not to think for one moment we can live this life for your glory in our own power and in our own strength. Help us to know you've provided everything that we need. Thank you for your spirit that resides in us. I pray now as we um, close our time together in song that you would be pleased in Christ's name.